Hi everyone, Benjamin Smith here, pastor of Revealing Truth Ministries, Wesley Chapel. You know, God is always speaking good things to us, and He has a word for you today, we are sure of it. Take some time out to listen, and we'll be back as soon as we're done. God bless you. All right, family, let's pray. Good morning, God. I thank you for this day that you've made and will rejoice and be exceedingly glad in it. I thank you for this time that we have together. We never take it for granted. I pray that you give me your inner wisdom to speak life into each and every person. And that everybody under the sound of my voice will get something out of the message today they can use. They can use and make their lives better. God, not just years from now or months from now or weeks from now, not even days from now. But they will be able to use this message and make their lives better immediately. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Family, if you have your Bibles, lift them up high doesn't matter what form they take and say this with me say this is my Bible I can be what it says I can be I can do what it says I can do I can have what it says I can have every verse is God breathed and I aim to live by every word it is essential to this faith to my faith foundation and works to change me From the inside out into the person God created me to be. That is why I shall never let it go. It is reliable. It is the truth. It is divine. It is the word of God and shall forever be to me my Bible in Jesus name. Amen. You know, family, this morning we were, Grant and I were getting dressed, a real quick Smith story for you. And so as we were getting dressed and she was, you know, doing what she does, she's kind of fluffing out my hair and whatnot, kind of being the boss. And so we were, she was going through all these things. And then I told her, I said, you know what I want to do this morning, sweetie? I want to put a couple of eye drops in my eye just to make sure I don't have dry eyes. So I put the eye drops in my eye. And what happens when you put eye drops in your eye? You know, they don't just always stay in your eye. They start rolling out the side. As the eye drops roll down the side of my face, she said, oh, baby, I get it. I'm just so beautiful. It just make you cry. She said, it's okay. You will be all right. It's just the beauty that you're seeing. I'm like, you would have get your behind out my bathroom. That's my baby, though. All right, loved ones. The policy. If you are an adult, you are well familiar with the concept of insurance policy. Essentially, what it is, is a contract. It's a contract where a company agrees to support you with their resources under certain circumstances. As a believer, we have a policy. We have a policy that is backed by heaven and authorized by Jesus. And that policy covers every aspect of our life. Jesus cried and bled and died to give us the right 
to sign our name on that policy by simply saying yes to him. And by signing our name on that policy, it gives us the opportunity to be in the relationship with God the way God always intended. It's our policy. And once we sign our name on the dotted line, we only have a very simple part to play to operate in that policy. And that part to play is explained to us in Proverbs. Proverbs chapter three, King James Version, verses five through six. What is our part in operating in this policy? It says this, trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy path. Said differently, our part to play is trust God, period. But pastor, what if I lose my job? If you lose your job, your part to play in operating in your policy remains unchanged. Trust God, period. Well, what if my husband divorces me? If the rascal decides to leave, you know what? Your part to play remains unchanged. Your part to play in your policy is trust God, period. What if my wife up and leaves? If she ups and leaves, your part to play don't change, believer. Your part to play remains the same. You trust God. What if my business application gets denied? I've been waiting all my life to start this business. What do I do then? What you do then is the same thing you did before. Your part to play in operating in your policy is unchanged. Trust God. What if my car get repoed? Huh. Hey. That don't change nothing up in here. The fact that your car got repossessed still puts you in the same position in your policy that you were in before. You trust God. What if I get evicted while you on the sidewalk picking up your stuff? Your part to play in your policy is unchanged. You still trust God. No matter what happens in life, no matter what goes on, no matter what you're going through, your part to play in your policy is unchanged. When it comes to your policy, once you sign your name on the dotted line, what you need to do is trust God and you put a period right there. You trust God. If we were to look in those same verses of scripture in the message Bible. This time reading through verse seven. So if Proverbs three verses five through seven, it says this. Trust God from the bottom of your heart. Don't try to figure out everything on your own. Listen for God's voice in everything you do, everywhere you go. He's the one who will keep you on track. Don't assume that you know it all. Run to God. Run from evil. Once again, you boil it all down to trust God. Trusting in God with all of your heart is a set of instructions that can be whittled down to two simple words. Trust God. Two words. You have to admit, family, 
That's some pretty simple instruction. Two words, it don't get much simpler than that. Just because instructions are simple, though, it does not mean that we will always find them easy to follow. Just because it's simple, it doesn't mean we'll always find it easy to follow. In fact, sometimes trusting God can appear to be the hardest thing in the world. And it's hard for a reason. And that reason has a name. And its name is worry. Put that on the screen for me, please, sir. Let's take a look at that word. We want to see it before our eyes because this word here, worry, is the reason why trusting God sometimes is so dag flipping hard. Worry is a very formidable opponent because worry works to discredit trust. Oh, yeah. Worry is very formidable. And when we're talking about worry, I want you to know that Worry doesn't just come to discredit trust empty-handed. No, worry comes with evidence. Worry always comes with evidence bearing the mark of someone who's willing to change your mind. When you think about worry, I want you to think about it in this, in this fashion. Worry in the mind and the heart of a believer. Worry works like a lawyer in the courtroom of your heart. Stating its case against your spirit's trust in God. And oh yeah, it always going to present its case with evidence. And check this out, loved ones. Interestingly, the evidence can be real, but it don't have to be. The only thing worry needs is for the evidence to be real to you. If the evidence is real to you, if the evidence is something that can sway you to its line of thinking, worry will use it. Obtaining evidence is the reason is the reason why worry strategically sets up camp in your mind. All of those negative ner nervous thoughts that you keep in your mind, especially those anxieties that you never voice in your mouth, but that are swirling around in your head. Those things give worry all the ammunition that it needs to fight against your spirit. Worry. 
You want to know why it's so doggone hard to put your trust in your policy? The policy that Jesus cried for, the policy that he died for, is because of right there. Worry. I want to give you an illustration. An illustration that kind of paints the picture of how worry debates against trust. All right, a child is at home and the parent comes home. And the parent tells that child, hey, tomorrow we're going to go to the water park. The child is super excited. Super excited. The child went to this water park years and years ago. But when they went to the water park, guess what? They were not old enough. They were not big enough to do what they wanted to do. Which was take a dive off the high dive platform. But now they're going to get their chance. Mama and daddy say we finna go to the park tomorrow and I can't wait. The next day comes. The child can hardly contain themselves. Are we ready to go yet? You got all your stuff. I got all my stuff. Can't even control them, themselves. They all pile in the vehicle and off they go. They get there, get out. The child is the first one to the ticket counter. No sooner than they've gotten all their tickets and they're allowed to go in, where do they go? Pew! Straight to the high dive. And of course, it's a park, right? So there's a line. So they have to wait, but that's okay. It's what they've been wanting to do for years. The parent finally catches up and says, hey, listen, here's, listen what, this is what I'm going to do. I brought all the equipment to record and memorialize this whole event. I'm going to go ahead and just swim out to the place where you're going to land. And when you jump off, I'll capture the whole moment and you will be able to look at it for yourself. Okay. The child waits in the line. The parent goes to the water. Eventually, the child makes it to the platform. The child walks out to the platform, looks down and sees the parent smiling, treading water, ready to record the moment. And then a voice starts in the child's head. Are you sure you want to do this? That's a long way down. What if you don't jump off just right? What if you hit the water wrong? What if when you hit the water, you hit so hard that you can't breathe and you start to drown? What if you get hurt? What if people laugh at you? That voice in that child's mind is the voice of worry. Worry masters at the what if game. And now all of those thoughts in that child's mind about what could go wrong. All of those thoughts have that child filling up with anxiety. Although that child had every single intention of jumping off of that platform Something that the child has wanted to do for years 
Something that, get this, their parents said is okay to do. All of a sudden, that child is at a standstill. That child is paralyzed with worry. Loved ones, that's how worry works. Worry is a feeling of just distress that self-inflates by feeding your mind a negative what-if narrative. And that negative narrative, every time that narrative cycles through your mind, you know what happens. The conclusion that you draw is worse than the first. It's a negative narrative loop. And worry feeds on that process and it continues to get bigger and stronger. Let me give you another example that really bakes that in. We're not done with that child on that high dive, but let me give you another narrative. A parent has a child. And you know, we can call it a new parent, but it doesn't matter. A parent has a child or a baby. And a family friend comes up to them one day and says, you know what? I can keep your child for you. They don't mean taking your child forever. They mean maybe for a day maybe for a weekend, to give you an opportunity to do some things uninterrupted because sometimes it's hard to do things when you have a child. And we're not just talking about a basic family friend. We're talking about someone that this person has said they claim they trust. Now, they want to say, yeah. If you've ever been a parent, and we've already prayed about a moment to catch your breath, Sometime, it's not that you don't love your baby, but sometime you just want that moment to breathe. And here's their opportunity to take this moment. It's somebody you say you trust. In that parent's mind, they really want to say yes. But then worry starts talking. Worry says, are you sure you want to do this? You know they're going to take your baby to their house. And what if when they take your baby to the house, they don't stay there. They have to go somewhere. That's the first loop. But remember, that loop always gets worse. The conclusion always gets worse. That's worry's game. And then what if when they got to go somewhere, they put your baby in the car and they don't buckle that baby in, baby in right? You know you got all them different straps and stuff in that new finger car seat you got. That's the second loop. And then what if that baby's not buckled in right and they get in a car accident? Your baby can end up in the hospital or even worse. Are you sure you want to do that? The parent hasn't even left from being in front of the person who's asked him the question. Already the baby in the hospital. Do you see worry's game? Oh, the same parent scenario. Hey, I can keep your child for a day or two to give you an opportunity to do those things that you said you want to do. That parent wants to say yes. 
But then worry speaks up. You know they got other kids at their house, right? What if one of them gives your baby something that they're not supposed to have and they choke? Or what if they give them something they're not supposed to have and they have an allergic reaction? And what if they call 911, but 911 doesn't get there in time? Or maybe 911 gets there in time, but they got to take your baby to, you know, that hospital that they live close by. And everybody knows you don't want to go to that hospital if something's wrong with you. What if they take your baby there? Or what if, you know, they have a dog. What if that dog licks your baby in the face and your baby gets some kind of weird germ? Oh, my God. Lions and tigers and bears. Oh, my. <laughs> it sounds comical, right? But we all have known parents who will not release control of their child because the story they tell themselves about what might happen to that child would not let them let that child go. We're not talking about worry has to use stuff and things that are real. It just has to be real to you. That's how worry works. Worry feeds your mind a narrative, a negative what if narrative that continues to loop through. And every time that narrative loops through, guess what happens? The conclusion that you draw that's negative is worse than the first. And worry feeds on that thing. And continues to grow bigger and stronger. Now back to our child on this platform. That child on that platform is now consumed with worry. And guess what? The parent is down there saying, jump. It's going to be okay. I'm right here when you land. Trust me. Nevertheless, no matter how much that parent yells, no matter how reassuring that parent is, no matter how authoritative that parent's voice, the decision to plunge into the deep is in that child's control. The decision to deal with to work with, to push away that worry, that's 100% on that child. And you know what? That child finds it hard to shake their worry because worry has a convincing voice and worry presents evidence that is very real to the listener. Oh, indeed, worry has a voice, family. And worry with its voice, it argues against your spirit with all its might. Worry, when it comes to your heart, worry is, oh, worry's playing to win. 
I want you to think of your heart this way. I want you to think of your heart as a courtroom. On one side of the courtroom is your spirit. On the other side of the courtroom is worry. Your spirit presents its case to trust God based on what's written in your policy. Your policy is what your spirit uses as a large part of its evidence. It uses what's written. And remember, your policy and insurance policy is a promise that your company has made that it'll do under certain circumstances. But we've already talked about your policy covers every aspect of your life and your policy has no exclusions. God said he's never going to leave you. He said he won't fail. He won't give you up. He won't relax his hold on you. He won't let you down. God says exclusions, none. Your spirit makes his case based on the words in your policy. Now, your mind, who's on the other side of that courtroom, your mind makes its case based on the narratives that it is able to create with the help of your mind. Yeah, when it comes to convincing your heart in that courtroom, your spirit looks back at its policy and it uses that as evidence as to why your your heart should trust God. What does what does worry do? Worry, who's on the other side, worry works up some counter arguments. Your spirits in the courtroom crying out. Those two simple words, that's the full set of instructions. Trust God. Worry exclaims back, I object. I object. Your spirit says to your heart, my policy says that my God shall supply all of my needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Worry says, your honor, I object. If that were true, you'd have no needs. Your spirit says, my policy says that Jesus bore all my sicknesses and infirmities on a tree and by his stripes, I have been healed. And worry says, your honor, I object. If that were true, they would not still be dealing with this illness. Your spirit speaks to your heart and says, my God shall give me the desires of my heart if I only delight in him. And worry says, your honor, I object. If that were true, the desires of their heart would be in their possession already. Your spirit presents its case based on the policy. And in a nutshell, the spirit says, trust God. But worry, who's always ready to make a counter argument, Worry steps up and says, I object. And it's up to your heart to either sustain the objection or overrule it. It's on your heart to do that. 
And this battle for your heart is extremely important. When worry and your spirit battle for your heart, worry wants to win at all costs. Worry is no lightweight. Worry is a heavyweight. Worry is not playing with you. Loved ones, <laughs> as the kids would say, it ain't your friend. Worry's not your friend. You know that statement where they say, what are you, friend or foe? Worry is definitely foe. That is why the Bible, our policy, tells us not to worry. Listen to this. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7 in the New Living Translation, it says this. Give all your worries and cares to God, for he cares about you. You know what I call that? If you look in your policy, somewhere what you're going to find is what I call the no worry clause. Our policy as believers carries a no, no worry clause. Say this with me. Say the policy, the policy. Jesus, authorized me, Jesus authorized for me contains, contains. A, no a no worry clause. Now the no worry clause is simple. It asks you to flush your heart and mind from all worries. It asks you to flush your heart and mind of all worries because worry is a trust blocker. That no worry clause asks you to flush your mind and your heart from all cares because those cares are what worry uses to help build its negative narratives. Your no worry clause is very simple. Once again, it's based on two words, trust God. And it wants us to trust God at all costs. Trust God no matter what's going on. Trust God. And trusting in God is what we should strive to do. But don't you dare downplay worry's ability to stay in the fight. Once worry gets a foothold in you, worry don't want to let you go. Worry wants to continue to remain so it continue to speak into your mind and try to convince your heart. It wants to continue to spew that negative what if narrative to put you in that do loop of worry and concern and anxiety and paralyze you and put you at a standstill. Our policy says that we should trust in the Lord with all our heart. 
and not lean on our own understanding. In all thy ways, acknowledge him and he shall direct your path. He should show you what he will show you what to do. He will show you where to go. But when you're dealing with worry, it paralyzes you. It diminishes your trust. That's worry's game. Worry and your spirit both make their case in a battle for your heart. Worry cries out, worry cries out, hey, don't trust God. What if this, what if that? And your spirit's on the other side saying, hey, just trust him. Trust him. Both of them are battling hard for your heart. And both your spirit and worry, they really want to win. They're in a winner-take-all debate for you, in particular your heart, because they both know that which truly controls your heart rules your life. If worry can get, capture your heart, whether you want to admit it, admit it or not, it's going to rule your life. Worry will keep you from saying yes to your dream job. Worry will keep you from saying yes to that experience of travel that you've always wanted to do because you won't get on a plane. Worry will keep you from being the parent that you want to be. Why? Because you don't want to end up like someone who didn't even know how to be a parent to you. Worry will hold you back. Once worry has control of your heart, it is the master and you are the puppet. But if the spirit of God rules your heart, God's in control. And that's where we want to be, loved ones. We want God in control. We want our heart locked and loaded on hearing what our policy says and saying yes to the policy, not to worry and its narrative. I want you to turn somewhere for me. Go to Matthew chapter 6. Verse 25 in the King James Version. Worry is such a bad thing that Jesus says this to his disciples, telling them not to engage in the act of worrying. Jesus says, therefore, I say unto you, take no thought for your life, what ye shall eat or what ye shall drink, nor yet for your body, what ye shall put on. Is not the life more than meat and the body than raiment? The Passion Translation conveys Jesus' words in more plain English. Check this out. Matthew 6, 25, the Passion. This is why I tell you to never be worried about your life. For all that you need will be provided, such as food, water, clothing, everything your body needs. 
Isn't there more to life than just a meal? Isn't your body more than clothing? Jesus is instructing his disciples to never be worried about the basic things of life. Is Jesus saying that because he can care less about their life? No. Is he saying that because he can care less about food for them? No. Is he saying that because he could care less if they have water or clothes on their back? Absolutely not. Jesus is saying that because he wants them to what? Trust God for those kinds of things. Your father already knows you have needs of those, need of those things. If we were to go through that whole passage of scripture, we would hear Jesus actually detail why we should be confident that the father knows and has an eye on that we need those things. But check this out. Just reading verses 31 through 33 in the Passion, it becomes clear that Jesus is telling us to trust God for those needs. 31 says, for then forsake your worries. Why would you say what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear? For that is what unbelievers chase after. Doesn't your heavenly father already know the things your bodies require? So above all, constantly seek God's kingdom and his righteousness. Then all these less important things will be given to you in abundance. Jesus says simply trust your covenant. In essence, trust your policy. Trust God for all of those things. Put worry to the side. Trust God. And you know what? When it comes to worry, we need to know, family, that Jesus would not have even mentioned worry if worry was not a pitfall issue in this life. If it were not an issue, he wouldn't have even mentioned it. Not at all. Notice something that Paul says in Ephesians. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. Because when you deal with worry, you deal with, you deal with mental anxieties that can lock you down. Worry can keep you in your house, blinds closed, because if you go out that door, you don't know what's going to happen. Don't tell me worry can't be your ruler. It can if it captures your heart. Ephesians 6, King James Version, verse 12. Paul says, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Now, as it relates to worry and what we just talked about, I want you to read something for me. I augmented that verse of scripture. I made a Benjamin Smith version. Now, what I want you to do, family, I want us to realize that we're doing this for illustrative purposes. I don't want anyone to go off the deep end and say, the Bible says, don't you be adding nothing to it, family. 
come back in the shallows with me. This is truly for illustrative purposes. But when we read it, it's going to make sense. Everything that we've talked about regarding worry will make, will, will make sense. Put that on the screen. I want you to read this with me. Ready? Read. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places, and against worrisome thoughts in our head spaces. Yeah, we wrestle against principalities and powers and rulers and, and against spiritual wickedness in high places. But you know what we wrestle against most often? Worrisome thoughts in our head spaces. And those worrisome thoughts in your head spaces are things you cannot escape from. Because it is it, it, in your head. That sound, those voices, those anxieties, those worries that operate between your ears have more acoustic power than any Bose speaker. They will keep you up at night in a silent house. Once again, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness in this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places and against worrisome thoughts in our head spaces. Loved ones, worry gets in our head. And it motivates us to work to wrestle against the promises of God. And when it gets us to wrestle against our policy, it diminishes our trust in him. Now, some of you might be saying, OK, pastor, tell me this. The Bible tells me not to worry. The Bible instructs me to cast all my anxieties on God. But if I worry anyway, am I a bad person? I'm going to tell you, no, you're not a bad person just because you worry. Keep in mind, there are some people that will tell you differently. There are some per people that will look you right in your face and tell you that because you worry, you're a bad person. They'll look you right in your face with their holier-than-now attitude, and they will tell you that because you worry, even call you faithless, that you are a bad person. I'm here to tell you, don't get tied up on that. Don't let that become a shackle to you. Shoot, those same people, those same people that present themselves as holier than now and that tell you not to worry and that scorn you for worrying, those same people get behind closed doors and about wet them pant their pants and worry. Those same people that present themselves as being worry-free are burdened down in worry. They just won't tell you. So no, 
you are not a bad person just because you worry. And if someone tells you differently, tell them that your pastor say that's not true. That's not true. We are all in this world and have promptings to worry. If worry were not an issue, the Bible would have been silent on it. Why does the Bible talk about worry if worry in this life was nothing that we were going to come across as people? That makes absolutely no sense. What the Bible is clear on, loved ones, is that it instructs us not to worry. And that's what we should strive to do. We should strive not to worry. That means that there are some things that are key for us to live this life and help us to deal with worry. One of the keys is that we need to understand when we feel worry coming on. And when we feel worry coming on, we need to understand what to do about that. And if worry is successful in rising, we need to know how to get rid of that worry, to push that worry away and get back to trusting God, get back to trusting our policy. And working through that worry, getting ourselves back in focus with God and his policy, that, loved ones, is what we're going to talk about next time. Amen. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for giving us your word. Your word is life to us. Every promise that you put in our policy, the Bible tells us those promises get stamped with the yes of Jesus. So we hold firm that every promise you made us in our policy is true. Our prayer is that everyone has ears to hear and a heart to receive. That worry has no place in our life. But if worry arises, God, you're not looking down on us like we're some bad people. That's, that's, not, that's not who you are. Our job is to simply do those things necessary to make sure we transfer those worries into your hands. And God, that is what we're going to strive to do. We're not going to take on any unnecessary weight as it relates to what people say. Because what people say about us does not hold a candle to what you say about us. You called us blessed. You called us loved. You've called us your own. 
and that's where we're going to rest. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, that's what God had to say to us today. We pray that it blessed you. As always, we pray that the word of God blesses you, not just years from now or months from now or weeks from now, not even days from now, but we pray that you got something out of the message today that would change your life immediately. God bless you and look forward to chatting with you next time.